Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Inside Sports is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Howard David Live. We are thankfully joined by Mark Medina of USA Today, who is from the left coast. So he's uh, he's a little, uh, we're about, what, 9 o'clock in the morning in California. But you've probably already been up for a couple of hours, Mark, right? I started to ask uh, Mark off the air if a team loses a couple of games early on uh, that where, to where they can't catch the team in front of them and there's no way they can make in the playoffs, do they continue to play? And his answer was yes, they do, because it also affects the other team too and maybe they have a chance to catch somebody above them and maybe get a better seed. So I, I understand all of that. But let me ask you the biggest question, Mark. In your heart, do you think – with all of the players that have already pulled out, that there's a danger that the NBA season may not take place? Well, there's certainly a danger that the NBA season may not take place, but I don't think it's because of players that have opted out. Um, You know, there's a handful of players here or there, but when you're talking about, you know, 400-plus players in the league, um, or 300 by that matter, it's still a small percentage. Uh, But to the larger question of is there a danger that the NBA won't be able to finish its season for sure um, if there is some sort of catastrophe that happens where there's you know widespread cases that infect almost entire teams you know Adam Silver has said that they will pull the plug but if I had to guess how <laughs> this all plays out it's only a guess because there's so many moving parts it will be messy uh, in the sense that there's going to be cases, there's going to be injuries, there's just going to be a lot of stuff that teams have to handle. But I don't think it's ever going to cross that line where it's going to result in the NBA holding operations or any lives being at stake, anything like that. But this, you know, these are unprecedented times. So even if the NBA has done its homework with outlining a 113-page health and safety protocol based on you know feedback from federal state and local health officials the cdc the players union um it's inevitable that that things are going to happen and they'll see how how they adjust to it all let me ask you this mark your personal opinion is there more risk than a reward here to even start more risk in resuming the season simply because 
you're having, you know, hundreds of people on one campus. Um, but I will say that at the same time, that as long as people follow the rules, and that is an if, but as long as people follow the rules, in theory, the NBA campus could be safer than all those participants would feel just being at home. And the reason is that they're going to be tested daily. They're going to have access to whatever health care is needed with all that. And, you know, the financial rewards are, ob- are obvious because a lot of the uh, their contracts are tied to television revenue. Uh, but there's no way around it when you are, even if you're socially isolated, if you are around a large group of people, uh, it's a lot harder to maintain social distancing rules than it is if you're just at home. But, you know, at the same time, there is going to be more oversight and making sure that people are following the rules than if you're, you know, just living your private life at home. Well, I mean, all you got to do is, is watch the news. There are a lot of people yeah. that aren't paying attention to the rules, and they're not socially distanced. They're not uh, wearing masks. They're going to places where it doesn't seem to matter to a lot of people. And uh, for our leadership is uh, not putting it. I'm just wondering why there's not a federal law that says that you will have to wear a mask. I'm just wondering. I'm with you. I, I don't get it either. And that's obviously a whole other discussion. But, I, you know, that point you raise is one of the reasons why I do feel some relative optimism that the the NBA, they will enforce those rules for people wearing masks and for, um, you know, people to maintain the social distance. And, you know, let's just call a spade a spade. The majority of the NBA players, uh, the executives and the coaches are, are, you know, you know where not even just their politics are leaning, but also how they view the pandemic. They, They look at it very seriously. They've been very disappointed with the leadership from the federal government and President Trump. So I think with that, they're more inclined to do the obvious of wearing the mask. I think where the gray area and the bigger challenges is when you're on a campus for up to three months, how well can you adhere to staying on the campus bubble? And there, you know, the NBA isn't necessarily enforcing it because I don't think that they have the teeth to do it. And, you know, they're not a, you know, they'll have NBA security monitoring everything, but they're not, you know, they're not a law enforcement. They're not a government. So they're not going to prevent people from leaving the campus, but it's their hope that because of the consequences that people won't do that. What are the consequences? Well, if you leave the campus, uh, you'll have to be quarantined for two weeks and your paycheck will get deducted. Hmm. Will players want to do that when they're in the middle of the season? Uh, I don't think they want to be the, they want to be the guy that screws it up for everyone. So I think with that, they're you know they will follow those rules, but you know maybe some of the other things of you know how well can you maintain social distance while playing card games and ping pong? Those things might be a little challenging. Yeah, uh, Mark, I mean, you have a pretty good handle on this. And look, I understand how people can turn this into a political argument. But last time I looked, yeah, last time I looked, you didn't go to an NBA game. Oh, you Republicans sit over there. The Democrats sit over there. I mean, it's ridiculous. We're talking about what's right 
for the population of this country for, for health's sake, and it's been turned into a political football. I get that, or basketball, whichever. I, I get all of that, but I'm thinking to myself, at some point, cooler heads prevail, and I'm wondering where those cooler heads are. I'm with you. Um, you know, I think the, the fortunate thing, if we're talking about the NBA, is some of the cooler heads are in that league. Um, you know, you can look at this, this whole thing two ways. But when I, when my colleague and I forwarded the health and safety protocol that the NBA established to health experts, you know, we wanted to get their feedback. Um, you know, I can pour through the pages all I want and it seems fine, but I'm not a health expert, right? Mm -hmm. So the whole idea of this exercise for a story was to get their feedback, uh, good and bad. You know, what impressed them, what are blind spots, what were they missing? And one health expert told us, this is the most comprehensive health and safety protocol document I've ever seen so far. And I certainly haven't seen anything like this to the level of detail compared to anything I've seen from the federal and state government level. Huge indictment, and understandably so, on the, how the government's handled it. But, you know, I think the NBA also deserves credit that, uh, you know, they've done their homework. They, they've, you know, they've relied on the health experts. They've covered all their bases with any hypothetical. Um, they've been secure enough in themselves to know what they don't know. And they've sought feedback from the players union to get their perspective on, you know, kind of day-to-day -day concerns players might have. And it's as safe as can be. Now, that being said, the one loophole that a lot of NBA folks have expressed concern, as well as the health and safety, uh, or the health experts I've talked to, were the policies they had for the Disney employees. Hmm. Uh, you know, some people were beside themselves. How can they paint this as a bubble when they're not going to require the employees to stay in the bubble? They can go in and out. And if, if you're doing that, you might be compromising it. Uh, and they also didn't understand why the employees want to be tested for COVID-19 as everyone in the NBA will be. So I did some digging and I talked with some of the Disney union reps and they said this. They were adamant that the whole idea of requiring them to stay in quarantine, it might sound nice in theory, but they, they said it was incredibly unrealistic and unfair to expect those employees to do that for a few reasons. So you're talking about thousands of employees, so they would be taking up all the hotels that are available if they were to quarantine. And secondly, these, these workers, they, they all make minimum wage. A lot of them are single parent you know, families. So that's you know, a huge burden. Uh, and then the other, the other part is that even if they're not required to stay in quarantine, the, 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 the health and safety protocols are extensive where they're, they're having to get daily temperature checks, they're being monitored for symptoms, and if they see anything that are red flags, they're going to be sent home without any questions. And they will be paid for those sick days. So anytime an employee with Disney has to miss work because they're either just feeling under the weather or, heaven forbid, they find out that they got COVID-19, they will be sent home and they will be paid for those days they miss. So there's no financial incentive for the Disney employees to work if they don't feel well. Now, even with all that said, there's still the question, well, why not test the Disney employees? And one 
Disney union reps said that they were trying to negotiate that with Disney and they frankly thought it was just too expensive of a proposition and that they were convinced that because they have those temperature checks and that they're being trained not to go into rooms when NBA players and coaches are around and not to clean the facilities until teams are at practices or at games, they feel that they can avoid any potential bubble being burst. But with all those explanations, NBA Commissioner Ad Silver has circled back and said he'll talk with Disney about trying to uh, you know, find a solution so that they will be tested. So I think you know this whole example I'm talking about, it does show a red flag, but it also shows the NBA's willingness to tighten the screws and make sure that you know, there's no blind spots that they're missing. Yeah, good job of reporting by you. We're talking with Mark Medina of USA Today. Let me shift gears from the pandemic to the social protesting that's been going on around the country. And certainly LeBron James has been very vocal uh, and, and displaying his feelings. And I'm sure there are a lot of other NBA players that feel the same way and have been vocal about it. And I'm just wondering if that's been a topic of conversation amongst the league teams yeah uh, i think that the, the top thing is that people are talking about uh, around the players and the nba teams it's health and safety regarding covid 19 and then also what what's the league the players union individual t- teams players going to do with their platform to address uh, you know racial inequality police brutality um the one thing that I think you know listeners need to uh, be aware of is you know a few weeks back when some of the players, including Kyrie Irving and a handful of others, were having kind of a, a cup to Jesus moment on whether they should resume the season. Certainly, they were concerned about COVID, but I think the primary concern had to do with if we resume the season, are we going to help? the efforts with addressing racial inequality or hurt. And if we all feel that resuming the season gives us a black, better platform, what can we do to make sure that the, the league and the teams that we play for play their part where the burden is not just on us? And so I think with that, when the NBA has had conversations with the players union, a lot of these things came out where there's going to be more initiatives. Now, some of them you know, a lot of it's symbolic. It's already out there that, you know, they're going to have Black Lives Matter painted on the court. Um, you know, maybe players kneel during the anthem. Maybe they don't. You know, as of now, the NBA still has a rule that you have to stand in solidarity during the anthem. Um, you know, the jerseys, you know, there's going to be some sort of tribute with Black Lives Matter and the victims. Those details are still to be determined. But I think the most important thing that the league and the players are aware of are, are the tangible things. So I think during this resume season, um, there's going to be an effort in, in bringing a lot of you know social activist experts, civil rights leaders onto Zoom calls. You know, I know the National Urban League is partnering with the NBA to do different charity initiatives. You know, LeBron James has already launched an initiative to try to improve voter turnout and also fight voter suppression. So I think that there's going to be things like that that players are doing. And then I think because of the, in the times that we're in, 
Um, the NBA is trying to improve its hiring practices because for as progressive as they are as a league and as, as much as they want to empower their players to use their voice, uh, their, their hiring numbers on the coaching level and the front office level is pretty low. You know, I, I believe there's only eight black coaches and nine black general managers. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're looking at, you know, the reality that the majority of players in the NBA are black, it's just proportionally that doesn't line up. And, you know, Adam Silver's been on record saying we need to do a better job with that. And I think that they're trying to find ways to ensure that black candidates get a fair process during the interview process. Um, you know, there might be more networking events to allow aspiring, you know, entry-level coaches or front office members to try to get their foot in the door. And then also using their G League, not just to develop, you know, young players and coaches, but also to develop some of those minority candidates uh, so that they're ready for those big opportunities when they are ready. Um, so I think, you know, this will be a very good pivot point. Um, but it's it's on all parties to make sure that's not just them doing the symbolic gestures and talking about it, but you know, launching real initiatives that will address these issues. Well, about a week ago, I had an old friend of mine on the podcast, Butch Beard, who played in the league, coached in the league at the assistant level and also at the head coaching level, and he brought up the, the dearth of uh, black general managers around the league, and, and the, the answer is eight in terms of, coaches, if you include Jacques Vaughn, uh, even though he's an interim at the moment. So there are eight black coaches in the league. When you consider this 30 teams, you could understand Butch's concern, and I'm sure that he's not the only one. So it, it's, inc- I mean, when I first got started in broadcasting, Mark, my general manager said to me, stay away from politics and religion because there's no right answer. Well, this is a different time and a different place. And now we are, we are both in the sports Sphere, and we we uh, have come to grips with the fact, particularly now, that uh, politics and religion, while they you, you can't get a right answer, there are a lot of people right now that are looking for answers. Yeah, and to, your, to the point you made earlier, I mean, I get philosophically, you know, sports is kind of a, a nice distraction and from the real world and all that, but. You know, the social, you know, the health and safety protocols about wearing a mask, that shouldn't be political, right? That's common sense. Right. You know, the racial uh, issues that we're talking about, that's, you know, about bettering society and human interactions. I mean, it's not like we're talking about in the weeds uh, issues about campaign finance reform or, you know, zoning laws. <laughs> like, right. I, I don't have any interest in discussing these, those things. That isn't sports, but these things, uh, I think, go beyond politics, as you mentioned. And, you know, sports is so intertwined with our society that those issues affect sports. And, you know, a lot of times that can be the avenue for the change in that. Um, And, you know, these guys have a platform to do that. So I'm with you 100%. Uh, I've been watching uh, the last few weeks on the PGA Tour and, and it's because it's golf, and golf is not a boisterous sport. The crowd gets excited when somebody makes a big shot and so on. But I've been watching the tournament, and I'm going, sounds dead. I mean, there's nobody there. Uh, and, and, and like a Bryson DeChambeau yesterday won a golf tournament, uh, and I thought, I mean, he hits the ball into orbit. 
and you would think you would get excited about something like that, but who's going to get excited? The groundskeepers? <laughs> I, mean, <you> know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the groundskeepers get excited even <laughs> in normal times, right? Um, yeah, that, that's, it's it's going to be weird. I mean, we, we know how unique and just head-scratching it's going to be that there's going to be games without fans, but I, I feel like uh, I'm going to be with how the coaches and the players feel, that we know it's going to be different, but until you actually get there and see it for yourself, that's when it will hit home. Um, and I think that, you know, that's where the NBA and the, and the TV partners that they have, you know, go into play. How can they, how can they make up for the reality that there's no fans in the stands? Can they, you know, make the, the broadcast more enticing with different camera angles or different, you know, kind of access moments, and, and that's going to be a pretty tough conversation for the league and the players union and the TV partners to have, because I think when you talk to the TV partners, they'll want every, every morsel of access they can get for obvious reasons, and I think that the league wants to showcase that, but uh, I know the players union, they're, they're always sensitive, as well as the coaches association, of they don't want those intimate moments uh, to be broadcast out of embarrassment, you know, revealing strategy. Sure. I, I know when I covered the Warriors two years ago in the Western Conference Finals between the Warriors and the Rockets, there was a moment that, you know, the TV cameras called Steve Kerr talking to Kevin Durant about, hey, you need to trust your teammates more. And he relayed a story about playing with Michael Jordan and how he went through a similar thing. But he learned to finally trust his teammates, and it was it was great for us. I mean, it was such an interesting window. But yeah. I know when we asked them about it, you know, at first Steve and then Kevin played it off, and you know they're just talking about you know that moment, and hey, you know this this shows what the game's about. But afterwards, they were fuming that that made it onto the airwaves because I, I don't think. You, you can see that when Steve was talking to Kevin about this, he wasn't exactly seeing eye to eye on Steve's message. And, you know, Kevin was always sensitive to those sort of criticisms anyway. And I think that that just perpetuated. And I think for, from Steve's end, he felt like, you know, that compromised his ability to have a real and honest discussion with one of his players without, you know, fear of other people seeing it and teasing them about it. Um, so I'm sure that there's going to be some lines drawn of, you know, where is the point that you can't cross? So <laughs> it'll be interesting. Yeah, let me ask you this. Um, um, TNT has come out and said they, they they're basically told Marv Albert they don't want him to work telecast, and UB Brown the same thing because of their age. Does that filter down to the coaches? You know, I know the coaches were sensitive to that, but I've been assured that no, that's not necessarily a thing that the NBA is doing. Uh, you know, Adam Silver, he said it on record, um, suggesting such a thing, but the people in the league office stressed to me he, he misspoke, and he was merely just citing an example of, hey, if there's an older coach that has some sort of conditions, maybe they want to be allowed. But, you know, this is a, a very tough situation because if the NBA had that, uh, had that, they would be open to age discrimination lawsuits. 
Mm. And, and coaches were really sensitive to that because there, there has already been a feeling in the NBA of, you know, some teams don't want older coaches. They want the younger one that they can groom and develop, and they want the younger one that's more in with analytics. But there is a value in having veteran coaches, especially assistant coaches, because, you know, at that point, uh, most of those coaches don't have an agenda. Like, they're not trying to be a head coach. They just like to be a part of the action, and they have so much institutional knowledge and experience, and they can help hold the head coach accountable um, a little bit more with his suggestions and all that. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I know that there are a handful of coaches already. I think Lionel Hollins, and I'm forgetting one other, I believe it's from New Orleans. Yeah, Jeff uh, Bizdillick. Right. But I've been assured that, yes, they are up in age, but it's not because of age, it's because they, you know, got looked at from doctors and they saw that there were some medical conditions that weren't dire, but they advised it probably wouldn't be a good idea to go down to Orlando. And so that's what the protocol mm-hmm. the NBA is having is, you know, they want, you know, a system of different medical experts to look at everyone. And that goes to all the young people and the old people as well. But, you know, you did bring up a good point where I think by design, because of the traveling party that's limited to 34 people at a time, at the beginning, there is going to be a reduction in the amount of coaches on site of the uh, on the coaching staff, mm. and it's not because of age, but it's because teams have made the right calculation that if you're going to be limited to a certain amount of people, load up on players, the 17 player maximum, because it's inevitable. There's going to be injuries, positive tests. You need to have bodies available. And then load up on medical and training personnel for the same reasons. You want to get, get these players as healthy as can be. And, you know, the coaches are going to face some of that blowback. But, you know, as the, after the first round of the playoffs, teams are going to be able to add two additional people. And then each round after that, two more. So it, it's the hope that at that point they can add more of those coaches and you know you can make the case that at that point they would be needed more than ever because in pivotal playoff series sometimes it's always just one matchup adjustment or one strategy scheme change away from deciding a game so um, very tough things that all these teams have to wrestle with here yeah Here's, he's Mark Medina of USA Today. Let me, uh, I, I'm sure you looked at the schedule, um, and I looked at it, and then the skeptic in me said, hmm, interesting. Um, Zion Williamson's playing the first game. Um, the, Lake, the, the Lakers and the Clippers are going head-to-head in the first day. Uh, <laughs> the 31st the next day. Do you schedule this to help with the ratings? Do you think? <laughs> yeah, I
So I, I certainly get that they're trying to have, you know, the marquee game teams on prime time. Um, but the thing that jumped out to me beyond that is that not only are there a lot of games every day, but there's very little rest, not just with only, I think, one back-to-back, and then every other day, every you know, team you're playing, but there's no you know, so-called easy games that anyone's facing. And, you know, maybe that some of that was inevitable because the teams that were bound for the lottery aren't part of this resumed season. <laughs> but I thought that there might have been a split where, particularly for the, you know, the, the top-tier teams, maybe they would get some of those cupcake games against, you know, the Washington Wizards, the Phoenix Suns, the San Antonio Spurs, you know, as a chance for them to use the, those games as glorified preseason games, because I just don't find it likely that those teams will make the playoffs. But, you know, maybe you could also make the other argument, which the NBA seems to be making, is that, hey, you want to, you want to give each team um, a fair shot to try to get into the playoffs. So if you're just loading up all the powerhouses against the teams that are outside of the playoff picture. What's the point? Um, but yeah, I'm glad I'm not a scheduled maker, even <laughs> in normal times, but certainly not during this time. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, I mentioned the Clippers and the Lakers right out of the bat, right off the bat. I mean, the Clippers uh, trail the Lakers by, I believe it's six games in the loss column. Five and a half, I believe. Well, six games in the loss column, which is the games you can't oh, make right. up. So, I mean, the Lakers are going to probably be the, have the best record in the West. I don't think there's any doubt and get the top seed along with it. But I, uh, a couple of things have come to mind. I heard, that, and this, please, hopefully you can confirm or deny or, or add some fuel to it, but I heard something that Greg Popovich is considering retiring after this season is over, and there was even further rumors that the owner of the Brooklyn Nets He's going to do whatever he's got to do to get him to not retire and come and coach the Nets. Yeah, I, I can't really add much to it, like, from definitive reporting. Uh, I don't have any insight on that, but just using common sense, uh, and I don't want to say common sense, but my own view of it through the league, I don't see Pop retiring and going to another team. Yeah. Um, and I... I found the scenario plausible that he was going to retire after the season, after he's coaching, uh, you know, the U.S. Olympic team, because that kind of puts a feather in the cap with everything. But now that the Olympics are pushed back for next summer, um, you know, it's my understanding he's seen that through. So I just can't see him retiring and then all of a sudden still being involved with coaching with Team USA. I think. If he is going to go the retirement route, and I don't know if he's going to do that, but if he is, I would think that it wouldn't happen until after he's done coaching in the Olympics. Yeah, I mentioned the Nets, which leads to another story, and basically the story is that it looks like whoever gets the kiss on the cheek from Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving is probably going to get the Nets job. Now, that could very well mean Jacques Vaughn. Uh, I, I don't know if he'll be ta- they'll take the interim tag away from him and he'll become the permanent head coach. But it's it's interesting to me that the, the, the players, and I know they're your two-star players, but they can have a say in this, which is kind of interesting. 
And I don't think it's uh, indigenous only to the Nets. I think that's the way it is all around the league. Yeah, and, you know, what I've found with all this is that you truly don't know what's going on behind the scenes of, you know, are the players, you know, being explicit about their demands or our front office is just smart and they can know how the players feel. Um, because I think players are always sensitive to any reputation that they've, you know, played a hand in a coach's firing or a coach's hiring. Um, so I think a lot of times by design, front offices try to make sure that they're not putting those players in those direct positions. But at the same time, yeah, these front offices, they're, they're, they know what's going on. They... They have a lot of different people that can report to them uh, to give them a sense on what the player pulse is, right? So when it comes to, you know, not just the Nets, but any of it, you know, that leaves, I think, you know, players with plausible deniability that they played an actual role in hiring or firing. Like, it's not a, a yay or nay vote, so to speak. And I, and I think that's all valid. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, to that end, see, I, I, I don't know what was going on behind closed doors in, in Brooklyn, but I thought Kenny Atkinson did a very good job, and I think he's going to get another head coaching job sooner than later, where I don't know. Um, uh, but uh, you look across the river, and the Nets have already got, uh, the Knicks have already got 11 candidates, you know, which is interesting because, I mean, the last guy had to take him to win a playoff series is the guy who's one of those candidates, and it's Mike Woodson, who won 54 games. And for some reason, Phil Jackson thought, well, he's not one of my guys, so he fires him and brings in Derek Fisher, and we know how that worked out. But here's a guy like Mike Woodson who's been on the shelf for all this time with a proven track record of winning. Of 
wanting to take the next job, but they always have the mindset, well, hey, there's no harm in interviewing. So that's, you know, that's all well and good. That's smart. Like, get your name out there, go through the process. Um, but what happens is, you know, a lot of the accomplished coaches, they'll, they'll have their fair sense of skepticism because of James Dolan and just his track record. But then there's a coach that feels, you know what, the money's too good, the glamour of coaching the Knicks is too good, I'll do it, I'll take it. And then they wind up <laughs> crashing and burning a few years later. So rinse and repeat on that one. Yeah, uh, taking further, one of the candidates is Jason Kidd, who's an assistant with the Lakers right now. Um, and, and there was an article today in one of the New York papers basically pushing for Jason Kidd to get the job. But we, we all know that Tom Thibodeau and Leon Rose, the president, have a history. So it, it seems pretty clear that he's the favorite to get the job. But until you sign on the dotted line, do you, can you really be sure? Yeah, no, I'm with you. And I think with that, it would seem like Tom Thibodeau is the favorite candidate. Um, but the reality of, of this is here is that Tom had issues in Minnesota and Chicago and some of the issues that he had was the front office dynamic and just how much he was in control and that's you know in Minnesota that's one of the reasons why he also had a role in the front office but there was certainly a tug and pull of the keeper trade Jimmy Butler and you know maybe with Leon Rose being there that's going to lead to the reforms about, you know, hey, finally, Jim, you know, James Dolan isn't meddling and you let the basketball ops do their job. But that's what they said about Phil Jackson, right? And the same problem still happens. So I like Leon. He's good at what he does. Tom's, I think, a great coach. But until there's a change of ownership, I, I just don't see the fundamental problems changing. Let me, let me just say this. We're talking with Mark Medina of USA Today. Forever and a day, I remember the Knicks always had, this is going to be the guy that's going to take us to the championship. I mean, it goes back as far as Kiki Vandeweghe. When they got Kiki Vandeweghe, hip, here we go. It's going to bring us a championship. There's always this quick fix idea. So they bring in Phil Jackson into a job that he had no experience. Now, if you were bringing him in to serve a dual role as coach and general manager, I could see that. But this was not the case. So now I ask you about Leon Rose, who's got a great reputation and a guy who knows uh, about uh, uh, acquaintances and relationships in the league in terms of getting free agents. But Leon Rose has never been in the job that he's in now. This is a first. This is a new, a new experience for him. He's gonna go through some growing pains, no? Yeah, and you know, you just wonder to what extent. Can you just lean on your previous experiences? Look, Leon's not the first one to blaze the trail of being a former agent and then transitioning to the front office. I mean, Bob Myers has done that well. Rob Palenka has been doing that well. So, yeah, I mean, there's inevitable, there's inevitable transition, but, you know, a lot of times that past experience can carry over, but it has to be with the right team. And, again, I think, you know, because of, Dolan and his track record. Until you see, until you see that change, I just, I just don't see it. 
Well, let me ask you about this. I mean, the Lakers made the announcement the other day that J.R. Smith was going to fill the role. Avery Bradley obviously is not not with the team. He's elected not to play, so they bring in J.R. Smith. At the rule, at the risk of uh, making a cruel joke, are they going to give J.R. Smith a remedial class in time and score? <laughs> I don't think that he's going to repeat the mistake that he made in Game One of the. Uh, <laughs> 'cause it's been a while since JR played. Uh do we really know do, do the Lakers really know what they're getting?
Now, obviously, if something happens to one of those two players, then all bets are off. But so far, they've you know reported good health, and you know, they're earning rave reviews from people in the organization on how well they kept in shape during this pandemic. Well, I'm talking with Mark Medina of USA Today. Uh, I hate talking about guys' jobs. I, I, it's terrible. I wouldn't want people talking about my job, but reality is what reality is. You're, you're, pay, you're hired to be fired in, in the coaching business. That's the way it is. But I look at it uh, at a, a, a situation we're in now where you're playing an abbreviated schedule and we don't really know uh, how this thing is all going to work out. You know, we're hopeful that we're going to see some quality of games and so on. But there are a couple of coaches around the league Brett Brown comes to mind in Philadelphia. Mike D'Antoni comes to mind in Houston. Uh, is, is it imperative for them to have a good showing to hold on to their jobs? Um, that's tough to answer. Um, I think the one I can probably give a better answer on is with Mike D'Antoni. Um, it seems like ever since he, he and ownership uh, could not agree to an extension that it was inevitable. And look, you know, from what I've been told, it's not even just going to be how the Rockets feel about wanting to keep him. It might also be with how Mike feels about wanting to stay. Um, because he, he obviously loves coaching James Harden and, and he's enjoyed coaching, coaching Russell Westbrook. And they, they are one of the potential teams that could make some noise in the playoffs. But, you know, he, uh, you know, I think that there was definitely some frustration that when they made roster moves, you know, it, it seemed obvious that some of the reasons why they did things was to shed salary and not improve the team. And they also didn't keep some of his assistant coaches. Mm-hmm. And so they felt like, you know, as time wore on, you're, you're not playing them in a position, in a position to succeed. So I think, you know, at the end of the season, I want to be surprised that it's almost a mutual parting of ways where Mike would feel confident that he could find something better out there. And, you know, the Rockets will move in a direction and then see who they can get. But, you know, the NBA, it has a mind of its own and, and so many things can change. So I think it goes without saying that the playoffs would serve as a major factor on what both parties feel that they want to do afterwards. Uh, and talking about Brown in Philadelphia, and again, I, I don't like talking about guys' jobs and peril and so on, but the 76ers, it's fair to say, have been more of a disappointment than a surprise. Uh, and maybe this is when Joel Embiid emerges and decides to put the team on his back and say, okay, this is going to be a short thing and so on and so on and so on. We're going to go, we're going to go for it. Now, they certainly have enough talent to make a lot of noise. The question is, is Joel Embiid looking at this, uh, that I need to take control of this team? Benefit from the season being stopped. 
stop because all those players are healthy now. But, you know, I'll be honest, I don't have a, a real pulse on how Elton Brand is viewing these things, but as much as you think, oh, Brett Brown has all this talent, and why aren't they, you know, going any farther? The reality is this, last year there were, you know, a Kawhi Leonard shot away from advancing into the playoffs even farther. And then number two, you know, the off-season moves they made this past summer, you know, not just with losing Jimmy Butler, but, you know, losing J.J. Redick, um, a lot of, you know, the, the coexisting issues that Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, I think you can make the argument had to do with they didn't have uh, a lot of good shooters around them to right. help with the floor space and allow, you know, Ben to be a playmaker and Joel to, to be the guy, you know, in the post. Um, so, for me, I pour, put more on the blame of the front office than Brent Brown. Um, and also, I do appreciate that Brett has not been so adamant that he feels he has all the right answers. I think that he has been humble enough to be open of how do you put different players in different roles. But that being said, I mean, coaches are usually the first ones to go. But it's hard to get a read on how they are feeling things simply because, you know, there hasn't been much of a much of a sense from the front office on how they're viewing this whole season in general. Yeah, well, their first game is against Indiana, and it's been announced that Victor Oladipo is out. He will not be available to play during this this season. Uh, but they, they've been dealing without Victor Oladipo for a long time. Uh, so, so I don't expect much. But is there a team that you look at and you say, you better watch out for this team because don't take them for granted. They're going to be a problem. First in the East. Is there such a team in the East? Well, I don't know if it's like look out for this team. I think everyone knows that the Bucks are are one of the favorites. So I put, I would put them as the, the heavy favorite in the East. Uh, I would I would say look out for the Toronto Raptors. I've been very amazed with how they've handled this season. With you know, you lose Kawhi Leonard, you lose Danny Green, and you know what? They're still in the mix. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they were able to keep a lot of the, the championship pieces intact with Nick Nurse um, and Kyle Lowry and, you know, Marcus Saul and Fred Van Vliet, but it also required them to adjust without having one of the best scores in the NBA. And, they, and they've done wonders. And I think, I don't want to say this is, you know, like the side of the championship, but the fact that they're already down in Florida and they're getting kind of used to this, uh, that, I think that that could help with the transition. And the reason why they did that is, you know, they're in Canada, right? If they had all the things at their practice facility, it would have been even more complicated dealing with quarantine and the logistics of testing and all that stuff. Um, so they decided, hey, we're going to be in the U.S. We're going to go down to a different site in Florida to get a head start. Uh, and so I think that that can, that can help with everything. Well, a couple of things about the Raptors. They win 58 games last year, win the championship. They're on pace to win at least 58 games, you know, if the season had not been stopped. If they had a full 82-game schedule, they could have easily won 58 games without their best player. If anybody needs more reason to nominate Nick Nurse as Coach of the Year, I want to hear it. Well, 
Yeah, I mean, I think he's going to win it. Um, I mean, assuming we're still having these awards. Um, yeah, I think the, the, the thing that impresses the Raptors about Nick Nurse is he has a, a good blend of a few things here. He is a player's coach. He has a very, you know, inviting and collaborative personality. They, they love his X's and O's. They, they think that, you know, how he draws up plays and all that stuff is very impressive. And, you know, he comes from the, you know, the, the video player development, coaching the G League background. So, like, he has that grinder's mentality of, you know, not feeling like any works beneath him and having that, you know, I think healthy level of insecurity that you don't ever feel that you made it because, you know, you always have to feel like you're scrapping for things. So, yeah, he, he certainly got my vote if, if these awards still uh, are going to be a thing this season. All right, you said that Milwaukee is a heavy favorite to win. You give Toronto at least a puncher's chance. In the wild, wild west, I mean, basically there's two. There's the Lakers and the Clippers. Uh, and we know that the Clippers are the deeper team, and but it's hard looking past LeBron and Anthony Davis and saying, do you have the answers to defend these guys? Uh, I, I don't know. If it's, a, if it's a battle of benches, then you like, got, you got to like the Clippers. Yeah, I think there's a, you know, there's a clear divide between both L.A. teams and the rest of the West. And I, I don't think that's going to change during this resume season because, you know, these teams have been fully healthy. They're mature. So I, I presume they've taken quarantine life seriously. I think entering this resume season, you, you have to handicap the Clippers simply because they have a full roster and the Lakers don't have Avery Bradley, who is a very good perimeter defender. Mm-hmm. And they might not have Dwight Howard, but I think, you know, it's inevitable that all teams, including the Clippers, are going to go through stuff once the season starts where someone gets a positive test or someone, uh, you know, has an injury. But I think, you know, barring a, a major injury or a two-week absence because of COVID to Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis, I just don't see any other team in the West being able to, to beat those teams because those are two really good duos that are pretty hard to stop. Yeah, wait a minute. You almost slipped one by me. Dwight Howard? I did not hear that. Yeah, well, he hasn't uh, decided yet. Oh. But there is a chance he won't be part of the season. Will not. Um, he, well, he's been dealing with a few things. Uh, one, he, you know, he's been on the fence about, you know, will, would he rather channel his focus on the racial inequality efforts, addressing those efforts, uh, racial equality, I mean. Um, and then the second thing, his... Uh, the mother of a six-year-old son died during this pandemic, not related to COVID, but had a seizure. So there's a lot of things that he's had to deal with with, with his son, and I think he's on the fence of how do you make this work, and he's a bigger priority. So they're, they're trying to sort through those things. I, I, you know, they haven't shared all the details because that's, that's obviously a very tough family situation, but that, that's where he's undecided. But, you know, the Lakers, for what it's worth, they did express optimism that he will be part of the resume season, but you know they just haven't gotten 
From the, look, by the time the games start, there's going to be about a four-month window between when it stopped and when it restarts. How does that time off affect a guy? Let's just use LeBron James at 35 years old. Is this a plus that he hasn't been playing for the last four months, or is it a, is, is it a combination plus and minus? ask you this uh, only because I just want a clarification once the playoffs begin are all the series best of seven yeah it's best of seven yeah. okay well th- that's kind of interesting into itself but uh, look everybody expects if you're going to go by the chalk it's going to be the winner of the Lakers and the Clippers against the Bucks in the NBA finals uh, you know could it be different well of course but in reality assuming Lakers Bucks Lakers win, Clippers, Bucks, Clippers win, or can Milwaukee have a better chance to beat one of those two? You're going all in. Who do you like to win the whole thing?
things this year that were heavy with you know Kobe Bryant's tragedy, dealing with COVID. Yep. Um, you know they they found a way because of how talented and mature they are to to really put their head down and you know find joy in the work. And, and I think that this falls under that whole theme. Now that being said, like this is so unprecedented. And, you know, it goes beyond dealing with, you know, a weird training camp that was shortened because you were in China and having new pieces. And then, you know, the Kobe tragedy is huge and real. But, you know, that's, you know, people deal with in life about death, right? But this whole situation is unprecedented. Yep. Uh, so you don't truly know, but I think because of how the Lakers' DNA is, I'm confident that they'll get through all this and they'll, they'll be equipped to do it the best. Yeah, I, I would agree. Mark, I always enjoy talking to you. I always feel like I learned something, but I appreciate your time, uh, and most importantly, stay safe. Thank you, and likewise. Mark Medina, USA Today. He's got a handle on it. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Um... We thank him for his input and his knowledge of the NBA. It's pretty extensive, but I think it's I think it's very interesting that we we uh, we we think about where we are, where it's going. Um, let's take let's take it from the standpoint of, of a team, and that team is the Philadelphia 76ers. To that end going to bring in Mark Zumoff, who does their television, uh, a, a terrific guy, a personal friend, and looking forward to hearing what he's got to say about his club. Hello. He is Mark Zumoff, the ace of the broadcasting industry. What do you say, Mark? Howard, I just got off, um, I just got off the golf course. It's 90 degrees. I'm at the Jersey Shore, and... Um, you know, except for the fact that it took me three strokes to get out of the greenside bunker on 18, I had fun. Uh, so, A, did you make money? Because that's all that matters. You know what? We lost. <laughs> In fact, uh, my partner and I lost to two older guys. So, right now, I'm just, I don't know, I'm beside myself. I told you you should have. I, I should have played with you, man. I could have helped you. You, you should have. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you know what? You're right. You should have. I, I mean, the second question is, did you drive it as far as Bryson DeChambeau? Oh, my God. You know, first of all, could he play tight end from oh. September to, to January? No, he could play outside linebacker. Oh. <laughs> he is, you know, he is a specimen. And in fact, you know, I was scrolling through Instagram and his, what he eats. I mean, you know, we would, we would both be 400 pounds if we ate what he ate. No, he's, um, he's a monster. I'm, and, and the thing I love about watching him is that he comes out of his shoes on every shot. I mean, he gives you everything he's got. Right. So, my, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm 5'10", I'm 160 pounds, so what I need to do is just make contact. If I try to swing out of my shoes, I'll be spraying the ball all over the place. So that's what I do. You know, my drives are like 190, maybe 200. That dude, he, and it, you know, when you think about it, those of us who golf, Everything that needs to come together to make good contact with a golf ball, for him to swing that hard, that really says something about his game. I mean, when I saw it, they showed a graph yesterday of he had one tee shot. I, I want to say it was on, 
uh, I want to say it was on the par five, maybe the 17th hole. He had an eight iron for his second shot. <laughs> I said, are you kidding? And it was from 228. And, you know, that, that's crazy. That's crazy. Well, you know, I, I'm thinking today we had a par three that was a little bit long for us. It was, you know, maybe 180, 185 yards. Um, and I'm, I got to think on the tour, what are those par threes? What's a typical par three for those guys? Yeah, about, about that, 180 to 190, 200, yeah. Yeah, but I, I got to think that they, they had their fair share well over 200. Oh, yes. Oh, there's yeah. no, there's no, hey, I'll give you one key word to help you, Mark. Steroids. <laughs> well, or come back, come back to somebody else. <laughs> We're talking with Mark Zumoff. He is the television voice of the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, I noticed that the first game the Sixers play will be on August the 1st, and they play Indiana, uh, who, by the way, doesn't have Victor Oladipo, so that's that's a plus for Philly, right? That and um, Malcolm Brogdon, uh, I believe, is one of the players who tested positive for COVID. That's not to say that he won't be ready, but uh, it's just another factor that the Pacers have to have. But, you know, I, I understand what Oladipo feels he has to do. He played 13 games. He, you know, he was just kind of rounding into form. This is a very long layoff. He knows his body better than anyone. Sure. And I feel that he uh, he has the right to, to pick and choose what it is he feels is best for him, for his family, for that matter. And of all things considered, he's not going to play. It's a tough break for the Pacers, although they're in the playoffs right now. But, um, you know, as I think about the East Howard, you know, the, the Sixers right now have the sixth seed which, uh, you know, quite honestly, might be to their benefit. I'm not sure that there is, not that they're not going to try to win, but I don't know what the benefit is really to try to move up to five or four because then that puts you in Milwaukee's bracket for the second round. So right. they might want to stay where they are. If they, it all finishes like this, they'll play Boston in the first round. And of the five teams ahead of them, that's the only team that they beat during the regular season uh, in terms of the season series. So um, it could be a lot of experimenting with lineups, combinations, that sort of thing through the, uh, the three practice games or scrimmages, scrimmages they're going to have in uh, the eight scheduled so-called seeding games. Well, there are no back-to-backs, apparently. Uh, so the Sixers, as an example, play every other oh, no, day. We do, have, we do have a back-to-back. Oh, Our really? sixth and seventh games are oh, back-to-back. Okay. Okay. I, uh, I'm looking at the schedule. Yeah, you're right. Um, but up until then, you play every other day. You've got, uh, you play the Pacers, you play the Spurs, play the Wizards. Uh, play the Magic, uh, Trailblazers, and Sun. The schedule is pretty soft for Philadelphia. I mean, I know you. No, it's it's the second easiest schedule among the uh, the teams are going to be playing, other than New Orleans. And don't you think the NBA would love to see Zion Williamson take the stage in the postseason? That young fella. I'll tell you what. I, you know, I don't know that much about college basketball. I knew he was good, but uh, man alive, that, that young fella can play a little bit. And, um, and they're, they're in for a great run if they can figure out a way to keep him, A, and surround him with the right guys. Oh, there's no doubt about it. You're right. Uh, I, um, uh, I looked at the schedule. The first night of the NBA schedule on July 30th has Utah at New Orleans, the Clippers against the Lakers. Uh, anybody suggest that there was a little orchestration of this schedule? snowball's chance but that allows them to get in and of course uh, 
the, the bulk of the other also rats are in the West right now. Washington is the only team right now that is not in the top eight that, that made it in the East. So, listen, uh, it's a nice little present for Scott Brooks, who I think did a tremendous job with one hand tied behind his back with that group. Yeah, certainly. Uh, and yeah, they didn't have John Wall, and, and who knows when John Wall, if ever, is going to go back and play for Washington. But, you know, there, and I don't expect you to speculate because he's the guy who coaches your team, but Brett Brown uh, has been linked with, you know, there's rumors out there. It's, does he have to win uh, to keep his job? Does Mike D'Antoni have to win in Houston to keep his job? D'Antoni's already had a, uh, a chance at an extension, and he turned it down. So my guess is that he's on his way out. But, and I'm just, as an outsider, Mark, understand this. Uh, I think Brett Brown is less of the blame uh, than other factors, specifically the front office. Am I, am I off base here? Well, I, 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 I mean, I, I tend to side with you, and uh, I, I will say this. First of all, everybody has injuries, but the Sixers had their share. So if you consider the lineup that they really uh, wanted to have, which was Embiid, Horford, Harris, Simmons, and Josh Richardson. That lineup only played 19 of the what 65 games. I want to say they were, they, they were they were going to miss Simmons for a good part of the rest of the regular season until COVID came around. And of course, Embiid, you're only going to have for about 60 or 65 games, which uh, I think he would have done had had they played out the, the normal 82. So, um, and, and trying to fit in a guy like Horford. Remember now, you're, you're fitting in a guy like Horford, which is unconventional today's NBA, and uh, you're fitting in another, a different starter at Josh Richardson. Uh, last year, he was able to coach that team up, and they got two rounds of the playoffs with three distinct teams as they went along. Uh, Elk Brand was really busy retooling the roster. That's when they acquired um, Tobias Harris from the Clippers. Right. And, uh, and, and, and I thought Brent did a tremendous job considering. So, listen... We, the cliche is coaches are hired to be fired. That's not to say that that's going to happen anytime soon for Brett. I think he's a great guy. I think he's a really good coach. And I just hope that the Sixers, now that Simmons is healthy, now that Embiid is in pretty good shape, will figure out a way. Remember now, uh, Sixers management has been saying since the beginning, since a year ago when they put this roster together, that this team was built for the playoffs. So, uh, you know, come mid-August, that's where we'll be in the NBA. Uh, you mentioned Josh Richardson, uh, who they got in the Butler deal. Uh, you're right. I mean, if he was healthy during the course of the season, the guy can score. He averaged about 17 a game with Miami. But he's a defender and a top-notch defender at that. Uh, I look at a guy like, look, everything kind of centers around Joel Embiid, right? I mean, he's the guy. He's the go-to guy. Uh, and, and if anybody's pointing fingers at him, uh, it's me. I'm one of the guys because I think the guy's a great player. I just don't think he gives it every night. I don't think he gives you 100% every single night. And, and maybe he's starting to get it now because he's a young guy. We'll see. But th- this is going to be an interesting test. I, I, I will say this about Joel Howard. He was playing uh, some of his best basketball I've ever seen since the Sixers drafted him uh, right before the All-Star break. And then, as luck would have it, he, he got he got hurt. It was really a freak thing, too, where, uh, well, he had a shoulder injury earlier, but he, his thumb gets caught in the jersey of an opposing player, and he ends up tearing some ligaments and, and having to sit out for, I don't know, it was two or three weeks, something like that. 
And uh, But right before that, he was putting up some monster numbers. And he had one game right before COVID. The Sixers played Detroit. It was a weird night. People just had a feeling that something bad was going to happen and, and, and the league was not going to be operating for much longer. Anyway, they played the game. And I think he had like 30 points and I want to say 15 rebounds in maybe like 28 minutes, 29 minutes. So um, he's certainly capable. And oh, by the way, um, and, and the analytics people will be able to tell you better, but when he is in there defensively, the Sixers are among the best, if not the best team in the NBA on the defensive end. When you were talking about the other team's points per possession, and B makes a huge difference, shot blocking mm. ability, his ability, he's so mobile as a big guy that once you come uh, close to or in the paint, he is right there to affect, affect your shot. So, uh, and, and Brett Brown has now said, he's gone on record saying he's going to try to play him 38 minutes. So mm. I think the goal will be to manage him through these eight games and then try to play him uh, playoff minutes uh, come mid-August. All right, so far as you are concerned, uh, you're not going to be going to Orlando, right? You're going to be working out of a studio in Philadelphia? I just had uh, Mark Medina of USA Today on just a little while ago and asked him this question. I'll ask you the same one. Is there a part of you that thinks that the NBA is still not out of the woods, or any sport for that matter, that you're not still out of the woods, that there's a chance that the whole thing could blow up? And, and if, if the numbers go high is what I'm alluding to. So I am not a public health expert, and I don't I pretend to understand what it is that the NBA needs to do. I mean, I have some idea based on the way that I've conducted myself during this thing. But when you think about it, you are going to have an area where few of any people, once they're there, are going to be able to go in and out. I mean, players have said that, you know, their wives were expecting that they do expect to, you know, have to leave at some point. But otherwise, you are going to have a contained area. So when, um, you know, our, our elected leaders have said to us, stay home, don't make contact with people. Uh, make sure that uh, we, we have as much testing as possible. These players are going to te- get tested, Howard, if not every day, every other day. Mm-hmm. They're going to take their temperatures every day, and they're going to be in an environment where the only people they interact with 
are people who have been treated the same. They're not going to be. Uh, they're not going to be at bars. You wouldn't think. I mean, I, I think they're going to be restricted. To, you know, to this campus. But uh, they're going to have plenty for them to do. They're going to have. Um, they're going to have uh, mental health experts if they need it. They can play yoga. They'll be able to golf. There's going to be uh, a personal chef assigned to every team. Hmm. They're going to do what they can to take care of just about every need, so that players will, you know, be able to grin and bear it because it's not going to be easy from July 9th until uh, I don't know when. With the last day of the finals is like mid-October almost. You know, that's a long time to be away from your family and be in one environment. Let me ask you this, um, and I know you, the thoughts probably crossed your mind. Fortunately, you don't have to deal with it. But just suppose they said, no, we've got a way that um, we can bring our announcers and they can sit uh, in a bubble or whatever. There would be a fair amount of trepidation in Mark Zumoff, wouldn't there be? Well, you know, I, I think it would probably be better to be asked uh, to ask the question of Mike Brains because I believe that he's going and I believe that the national guys are going to be there. Right. So that's something that they're going to have to deal with. I, I will say this, and again, I'm no public health expert, but I think I've been around Adam Silver long enough to know that no stone will be unturned. That's not to say that something goofy can't happen or that we're not going to have infections. It's certainly a possibility. But uh, I think he's the best commissioner in sports. I think his predecessor, when he was reigning, David Stern was the best commissioner in sports. And I know that Adam, look, look, Adam Silver was the first one to stop his league from playing. The minute they heard about those positive tests for Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell for the Utah Jazz, right. uh, Adam Silver said that's it. And it turned out to be the right decision. And, uh, it, you know, I, I have to think that in partnership with the players, which the league has been very careful to involve them every single step of the way, I would like to think that with all that going into it, that um, and the long answer to your short question is yes. They said, we need you to go to Orlando. Uh, I would do it. And I would, I would think that I'd be safe. I, I think I'd be as safe as I am now in my house. Mm-hmm. And I go out, I go for walks with my wife, I, I, I sit outside at restaurants, and those guys are not going to be doing any of that stuff. Right, right. Uh, no, I, I agree with you on your assessment of Adam Silver, by the way. I think he's the most effective commissioner in all of pro sports for all of the reasons and more that you've indicated. And, I, and I've got some issues w- with some things that are going on. I, I think baseball has dragged their feet in many areas. I'm more concerned about the NFL, as an example, because of the contact in the sport. And there's some contact in the NBA, and guys are going to sweat and, and all the rest of it. But I, I'll just stand back and see how it goes. I'm, I'm just keeping my fingers crossed. And it's not because, Mark, that, that I want to see basketball. I want to see football. I want to see baseball. It's not about that. It's about, uh, it's about getting people's minds maybe on something else and I'll ask you this, and I asked, uh, I, I asked uh, uh, Mark Medina the same question. I think that the federal government is blowing it. How in the world can you not have a federal law that says if you're in, uh, outside, you have to wear a mask? I just can't get it. You're preaching to the choir, brother. No, I know. I got nothing, I got nothing else to add to that other than, um, listen, it's an inconvenience. It's not fun. You know, I miss hugging my friends. Um, you know, I, I, I feel badly for people who uh, are either out of work or their businesses have been affected. But this is something I think we have to do right now. 
And quite frankly, you know, you're looking at Florida, you're looking at Arizona, you're looking at Georgia, you're looking at states where the infection rate has gone up Mm -hmm. because they tried to open perhaps too soon and they relaxed their rules. And they have people at bars and on beaches uh, congregating as they normally would without masks. And I think uh, the numbers are telling the whole story with that one. Yeah, and Texas, too, you can add that. Thank you very much. Yeah. and yeah. of all places, California. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Look, uh, you know, sticking to the, you know, the X's and O's of the NBA and 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 uh, the teams that we know are the teams that people are going to be watching, the Clippers and the Lakers and the Milwaukee Bucks, but there are many people that look at your team, Philadelphia, as the team that you better pay attention to because forget about where it says that they're, that they're in, in the, or tied for fifth in the East. Forget that. It's who they are, and this is a young team primarily. Uh, I think they're the most dangerous team in the East. Let's hope that the Sixers themselves play that way and feel that way because when you look at them on paper, um, and and let's suppose, for example, that the emerging young shooting guard, Shake Milton, is a starter and they end up uh, bringing Al Horford off the bench. That's still a really good starting five, and you're bringing Horford off the bench. Uh, you know, and I'll just mention bench players: Burkan Korkmaz, who can play and, and score. Mike Scott is a good three-point shooter. Matisse Thybulle, a, a young rookie, we have is a good defensive player. And uh, and by the way, we got Glenn Robinson the third, who was starting for the Warriors, and Alec Burks, who's a guy who can give you 20 points off the bench. I mean, that's a lot of talent. And let me just say this about about Shake Milton: um, he's a guy that that people are going to want to watch. He, he had 39 against the Clippers on national TV, including 7-3. So, and, and Elton Brand, boy, what a move that he made before the season. He signed into a four-year deal. I want to say the total contract was maybe 5 or $6 million. Well, it's interesting. It's interesting because the concern was in Philadelphia, losing Jimmy Butler, losing a J.J. Redick, that they were going to be absent of shooters. But yeah, I mean, they managed to, to you know, bring in the troops and, and here they are. Uh, Glenn Robinson III, I was around his father in Milwaukee. <laughs> I don't know if he's anywhere near the shooter his father was, but Big Dog was something uh, from any distance. Yeah, you know, there's certain guys that you say, like Jamal Crawford, they get buckets. Lou Williams, they get buckets. Glenn Robinson, was a guy, he just got you buckets. He, but when you turned around at the end of the night, he was at 20 or more. He was a prolific scorer and actually played for the Sixers for a year. This was uh, toward the tail end of his career. uh, Billy King was the GM then. He was searching for second scorers to play with Allen. We had Chris Webber for a year or so, and Mm. and Glenn Robinson was part of that as well. Um, I I just remember him as a a guy, yeah, who could get you buckets for sure. Real real quick personal story. Uh, I lived um, in the apartment below Glenn's uh, in the building in Milwaukee when I was broadcasting Bucks basketball. And it was late, and he had a big party going on upstairs. So, I mean, it got to a point when I couldn't even sleep. It was not a chance. So I put my pants on, I went upstairs, knocked on the door, and Glenn answered the door. I said, Glenn, I need a favor. He goes, what's that? I said, I can't sleep, man. He goes, are we too loud? I said, well, it's 1.30 in the morning. I, 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 I'm not asking you. I'm just saying, can you just tone it down a little bit? Do me a favor. He goes, not a problem. Everybody, calm down. My man needs to sleep. <laughs> 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 and they did. They behaved themselves. 
huh? Yeah. I can see him saying that. Yeah, and they behaved him, and they were great that way, and I really appreciated that. But, no, I liked him a lot, and coincidentally, two weeks ago, actually it was a week ago, I had Vin Baker on on the podcast. Uh, and he and Vin Baker were the tandem in Milwaukee. They really didn't get much because they, they, were, they just had a too young of a roster and they really couldn't mature. But Glenn opened, uh, Vin opened up, and I don't know if you know the story about Vin Baker, but uh, he, he had an alcohol problem. Uh, and uh, It affected his life greatly, but he's been clean for nine years, and I couldn't be happier because he's one of the greatest guys I've ever been around in sports. as a player and really starting to show his stuff he was a 6'10 guy yep. with a big body who could shoot he could put it on the floor there was very little that he could not do and he came from what the University of Hartford which right. was, really wasn't much of a program and actually you know had a pretty good NBA career until he started having his issues but I, I'm really proud of him and the fact that um, you know anybody who's able to overcome personal issues like that and be an inspiration to others to me is uh, that that's more impactful than anything they may have done on the on the basketball court. Well, it's interesting what led to the problem. He he, he was traded from Milwaukee uh, in a three-way deal to Seattle, where he he, he joined uh, Gary Payton, and, and they had a really nice club, uh, and he loved it there. And then for some strange reason, um, uh, Seattle included him in a deal to Boston. And I said, but Vin, you're from Hartford, Connecticut. You would think that this would be good for you because you grew up a Celtic fan. He goes, no, it's quite the opposite. He had, he had problems going to play for Boston because of all the people that had a piece of him going back to Boston, friends, relatives, whatever, and it became too intense for him, and it, it, he was just overcome. Mark, let me ask you about this, uh, because I would be remiss if I didn't bring the subject up. Aside from the COVID-19, you've got the, the other social issues that are going on now, and Black Lives Matter, and, and it's so important, particularly in the NBA, you know, which is a league that's 80% black, and you, and you, uh, you wonder in a market like Philadelphia uh, and some other major cities, the effect that what is going on now around the country has uh, on... Just to say, for the on the 76ers, is there any impact? Do you hear anything around the team about how what is going on nationally affects the league, affects the team? 
Yeah, our guys, a lot of our guys have been at the forefront. I want to say Matisse Thibel, Mike Scott, I know Elton Brand all joined Black Lives Matters demonstrations in the city of Philadelphia. And, uh, you know, the club is, is very supportive of the movement. I certainly think that, here's what I think, Howard. I think that we have had protests before. You know, I'm old enough to remember the 60s and yep. what that was about. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there was some positive change. We did have a civil rights bill. But um, we, we, we need to change things not only systemically, but uh, culturally, just a, as we interact as humans and to, to better understand people and to better appreciate differences and, and to love our fellow man, no matter the color of the skin or, or the religion that they follow. And if this, if all of this leads to what I just talked about, more of the same, more of the harmony, uh, well, then I'm, I'm, I'm totally all for it. And, 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 and I'm proud of my team and I'm proud of the club that I cover that, that, that they're all for it as well. Well, I was lucky. I was born in Brooklyn and grew up in the streets. And we didn't care if you were black, white, Italian, Irish, Jewish. It didn't make any difference. As long as you could play ball, you were in. And, right. And, and, and that was always... Yeah, well, but you know what? So at, at some point, you're right. As kids, I remember, it didn't matter. And I grew up in the city as well, and that's the way it was. And I think that's why I'm able to express myself as I, as I am now, because I grew up among many different people. So um, you're right. What, what do you think happens when we, when we get older? I, I, I don't know. I don't mean you and I specifically, yeah. but, you know, adults in general. Well, there's a, a variety. You get a variety of, um, of things that impact your thoughts, perhaps. But I'll ask, a, I'll ask an out-and-out -out bold question. There's something called Black History Month. Why is it one month? I'm just, right. I mean, one, it's one month. So in other words, right. all of the attention is to Black History Month is in the one. Sh wh why one month? That's, I keep asking that question. Right. And, and it's a good one. And, <laughs> you know, I guess we, on the one hand, you can say, well, at least there's, you know, some acknowledgement. You know, it took a while for uh, Martin Luther King Day to become a national holiday. I love when it's become a day of service. And boy, think about it now as you come around to Black History Month in February and Martin Luther King Day, uh, what a difference it will be just in terms of how we perceive that after everything that's going on. Listen, my brother, I got I got a bounce. No, I appreciate your time, Mark. Always great talking to you. Uh, good luck to you. Stay safe. That's the most important thing. Howard, listen, um, I grew up watching you and admiring you. And to be on with you is a pleasure. Let's do it again. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. You got it, my man. He's Mark Zumoff, old friend. I'll tell you how far back we go. I started in broadcasting in Princeton at a radio station in Princeton, New Jersey, and began calling Princeton football and Princeton basketball, and did it for about eight years. And it gave me basic training. But it's interesting, when I left to go take another job in New York, the guy that replaced me doing Princeton basketball, the guy, the, the guy you just heard, Mark Zumoff. <laughs> Talk about ironic, huh? That is truly amazing. The more things come around, the more they come around. Look, you stay safe. We've, uh, I, I've got a, a great week planned for everybody as it um, pertains to this podcast. 
There's one in particular that's coming up. Um, we're going to talk a little NBA basketball and broadcasting tomorrow, but Wednesday, circle the day on your calendar. The human highlight film is going to join me, Dominique Wilkins. I don't know how many players you think were greater than Dominique Wilkins, but when you talk about great players, he's in the conversation. He will join me on Wednesday. Stay safe. Thank you for being a part of the program. And folks, have a great day. I'm Howard David, and this is Howard David Live. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube